Well, this week, we are diving into our last week in the Lord's Prayer. Not forever, uh, but for now, we are wrapping up this series. And so let's start by reading it. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. We can uh, read it together. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. As we're wrapping up this whole series, um, let's review a little bit from last week. There's sort of three observations in the front half and in the back half of the Lord's Prayer. And the start is the theme, making holy the name of God, the coming of the kingdom of God, and the fulfillment of the will of God. We have spent a week in each of those categories. And the second portion of the Lord's Prayer, which we will focus on today, is daily bread, forgiveness and community, and freedom from evil. All of these themes have two primary components. An act of God and a participation from the believer. So two kind of primary components. And they're broken down like this. God makes his own name holy, and I am expected to live a holy life. God brings the kingdom, and I work towards the goal of its coming. God fulfills his will, and I discover and put in towards that will in obedience. God gives the gift of daily bread, and I work towards that daily bread. He forgives, and I forgive. He guides from evil. I live towards righteousness. And today we're going to touch on the whole last half of the prayer, that daily bread, forgiveness and community, and freedom from evil. And it's a lot to cover. And so we'll kind of just snip it through each one and uh, not probably get as in-depth as we've been able to get. Um, but the first thing that I want to note about all three categories before we dive into each individual is that they have a particularly communal aspect. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Deliver us from the evil one. The language in this last half is particularly communal. My participation is requested, but in a collective space and in a collective sense. But we sort of live in this hyper-individualistic world. We live in a hyper, hyper me-centric world where our identities are wrapped up in me and I. And that doesn't make us terrible. It just makes us a, a product of the world around us because it's the way that we live and function and are pushed towards. But these particular petitions, the daily bread, the forgiveness of sins, and this sort of freedom from evil, when we transition them from individual prayers to communal prayers, they get really, really uncomfortable. So since we love that, um, let's start with the first one. Give us today our daily bread. When we break down language and scripture particularly in this phrase, most translations use two words that sound similar, today and daily. 
And I don't know if you've ever said it and thought, why am I saying it twice? Um, That may or may not have come to your mind. Now you might be thinking, why am I saying it twice? But it seems redundant. And one of the things that biblical scholars do throughout all of Scripture is when there is a word represented, particularly a word twice, when there is a word, biblical scholars will take that word and run it through this sort of gamut of other words in Scripture that match it. And so they'll take this word daily, which we're going to talk about for a minute, and they'll run it through a system of where else does this word show up to gain the context and the meaning for that extra word. Because it's there for a reason. It's not there just to say it twice. Like, (laughs) that wasn't an accident. Like, it's there. So we're going to figure out why it's there. And so we run the word through all the other places in Scripture where that word shows up. The only problem in this particular scenario is that it does not show up anywhere else in Scripture. And when a word has a zero match success rate for the rest of the Bible, it leaves a lot more debate on the table because there's not something in the context, the language, and the culture that you can typically tie it to. So then it goes from, it's a word used twice, and it's a little bit confusing, let's find out why, to who knows why, because how will we uh, figure this out? And so there have been many, many, many different variations of the why, uh, which we won't dive into today because we have three whole sections to cover in one morning. Um, But the primary breakdown that a lot of scholars have settled on is that daily has more to do with the limited nature of the word than like the time and or the context of today. Daily being emphasized as sort of a limited word. What we are instructed to ask of God is for a one day's supply of food. And then to trust him again for the next day. Now, since we are talking about food, um, we're going to talk about food really practically. And there's some things about hunger in the USA that are just helpful to know as we talk through the context of daily bread. Because it fits into this particular story. There are some statistics involved. These are just pulled from, like, the USA stats kind of basic uh, information. 44 million people faced hunger in 2023. Uh, Black and Latino children were twice as likely in those numbers to face hunger due to discrimination. And single parent families face higher levels of hunger than others. There are three top causes. Again, hunger database of the internet, and those boil down to low incomes, lack of affordable housing, and discrimination. Now, the U.S. average for food insecurity or hunger challenges is 12.8% of people. And in our way that we function, in our sort of individualistic life that we lead and means that we kind of are pushed towards, um, it's hard to take that number and figure out what to do with it. Because in our story this morning, we are not trying to solve, as a primary part of our morning, the hunger crisis of the USA. 
And so we take those numbers, we hear them, but they're not necessarily things that we uh, have something tangible to do with. And since we're not trying to solve the entire issue in the USA, we're just going to talk about it in the context of Lewis County. Because it's easy to look at big numbers and then just kind of gloss on by. And it's easy to think that that nationwide issue is probably not as bad in our community. So 12.8% of the U.S. population faces food insecurity and hunger issues. However, in Lewis County, that number changes to 43%. And there's a study that Hunger Center did on Lewis County. And they sort of surveyed a bunch of counties. They didn't survey every county in Washington. So this is the stats based on their particular survey of counties. They found that Lewis County had the highest, the highest percentage of food insecurity in Washington State. It was also the smallest county that they surveyed. So when we pray, give us today our daily bread, and we make it individual, 57% of Lewis County gets to pray that prayer as a formality without a lot of faith because there is a full pantry to back up the fact that there's daily bread. But if we take it and we make it collective, hence the our and the us that are represented in this particular prayer, it becomes, I'm okay with a single day's supply of food as long as it means that everybody eats. It puts a different spin on the concept of daily bread and the communal aspect of this prayer that we are instructed to pray. Because there's a comfortable prayer there, and there's an uncomfortable prayer there. The comfortable, individual prayer of stocking up, filling the pantry and praying, give us today our daily bread as a, as a thanks, as sort of this formality of, of gratitude for what has already occurred, or this sort of collective trust in God for an entire county to experience daily bread. The individual versus collective nature of this prayer really changes what it means and how we pray it and what obedience in this particular prayer might look like. The next statement in this set of three statements that we are instructed to pray is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Or this idea of forgiveness inside of community. And I think what's really, really important is to hone in on that communal aspect. There are prayers that we are given that are um, given individually. Like, think of lead me beside still waters. Like, that's a me prayer. 
And that's a, a given option to pray, Lord, lead me beside still waters. Guide me. There are prayers that are meant to be individual. This, however, is not one of them. Because it would be easier in so many ways for us to take this prayer and just say, forgive me for the things I've done wrong. Uh, thank you for my daily bread. Like, we could make it individual, but that would not be the context or the intention of this prayer. And our tendency is to do that. Is to just, without even thinking about it, just swap the hour and the us for the me and the I. It's our tendency without even, like, we don't even have to sit there and think, I want this to be about me. It just sort of happens naturally that we swap, give us our to give me my, or thank you for providing for me. Um, and, and those aren't bad prayers. They aren't what is instructed in this particular section of Scripture. And so here we have this forgiveness in community concept. And the individual versus collective nature of this prayer as well will be very comfortable or uncomfortable. The initial observation of forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors is that it assumes that we have already asked forgiveness of others. It assumes that as God is forgiving us, we are forgiving other people. And this is sort of amplified in the parable that happens in the New Testament where there's a conversation with the man who gets his debts paid in full and then he doesn't forgive the debts of someone else and then he in turn goes to jail for not forgiving the debts of someone else. There's this whole parable about it. And at the end of the Lord's Prayer, this is sort of emphasized when it says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So this is sort of re-emphasized again in this particular section of Scripture. And the inclination here is for us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Like, we just want to, like, trail off. We want to go, forgive us our debts, forgive us our debts, and then, like, and forgive them too. Like, we want to do that because it's easier to do that. The second thing of interest to note here is how, how many of us have prayed the debts version versus the trespasses version? So there's two kind of primary translations here of forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Now, whether or not you grew up with or have experienced a primary tradition of trespasses or debts, will actually have a lot to say in our own world as to which we find to be worse or better than the other. Let me explain. They mean very different things. One means forgive us for the things we didn't do. And one means forgive us for the things that we did do. So forgive us for the things we did wrong or forgive us for the things that we didn't do that we should have done. Two very, very different translations here. So whether you have grown up or spent time praying uh, around debts or trespasses may actually play into your understanding of which is worse 
Or which is easier, praying for the forgiveness of debts or for the forgiveness of sins? Which is more comfortable, praying around unfulfilled responsibilities or praying around committed acts of sin? And this prayer would suggest, based on the translation, that both are equally, uh, equally problematic, both debts and sins. So we have to wrestle a little bit with forgive me for the things I have done or forgive me for the things that I didn't do that I should have done. And now, if you keep it individual, if I look at this and it is just about me and the things that I did or that I didn't do that I should have done, it's less uncomfortable than it ends up being if we make it collective. Forgive us for the things we did or forgive us for the things we didn't do that we should have done, the collective nature of this particular prayer becomes uncomfortable when it changes to us because now I am potentially apologizing on the behalf of someone else. And we really, really struggle with this idea. Let's just take the hunger stats from today's discussion and put it into this particular petition. Is it easier for me to pray, forgive me for cheating on a test, a thing I know that I did or that happened that I can look in the past and ask for forgiveness of, or is it easier to pray, forgive us for not feeding people who needed food when we had the resources? One of those is a lot more comfortable. And in so many ways, if this prayer was forgive me, or forgive me for the things that I didn't do, but I didn't know about them anyway, so like why, like okay, like it, it gets easier the more individual that we make it. And before the Lord's Prayer, gets any more uncomfortable <laughs> this morning, let's move on to the third one, which is um, less uncomfortable out of the three, this final petition of freedom from evil. Or, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There's a lot of debate around this particular uh, prayer as well. There seems to be a lot of debate throughout the Lord's Prayer in general. Um, but this one brings up debates as well. Because there's a lot of context in Scripture that would lead us to believe that God doesn't tempt us. And so if that is a context that we understand or we believe that God doesn't tempt us and then we read this, we don't know what to do with what's written here. And so there's a few different ways to read it, which we will go over briefly this morning as we're fast running out of time. But basically throughout the debates, there's sort of two solid places that people land in this particular translation. And there's a causative versus permissive reading of this prayer. The permissive reading is do not permit us to go into temptations or trials. The causative reading is do not cause us to fall into temptation. And the permissive reading aligns better 
with our understanding, limited as it is, of the context of other scriptures. James, where it says God will not tempt us. In the garden, where Jesus says, watch and pray that you do not end up in temptation. And this specific language of do not lead us, or do not permit us to go, is sort of grounded in a historical context. Uh, And traveling at the time of Jesus was often through very treacherous areas and very challenging spaces. And so this idea of leading us or permitting us to go into places is that when you would travel from region to region, you would hire a guide. And that guide would be someone who knows the area. They know what you're going to see and experience when you go over this mountain and this hill and what you're going to find in that cave and why you might not want to go into that river or whatever it is. And so as you traveled from region to region during Jesus' time, you put a lot of trust in your guide that they would not lead you into a lion-infested desert and leave you there because they knew where they were going, and they knew where not to go. And so there's a similar context in this particular word, lead, here, in that we are putting our trust in God as our guide to help us stay out of tempting places or tempting things. To keep us from evil, similar to a guide that is guiding us around the lion-infested desert as we travel from region to region. Not just me, but us, collectively as a people, as a group, as a family, as a church. And so throughout the Lord's Prayer, as we wrap up, there is this sort of act of God side of things and our participation side of things. And I want to encourage us this week as we go throughout our days, as we think through this series, if you have not seen some of it, you can go back and watch on Spotify or listen on Spotify to um, whichever ones, but to sort of think through which one the Lord might be speaking to you about. Which one might be kind of the one that stands out. It's really hard for us and not expected that we take the whole entire Lord's Prayer and every single area and we just like try to figure out and and internalize and apply every single thing all at once because it probably won't stick. Um, but there's a chance that God might be speaking to us about one specific area um, of this that makes sense for our story. And so as we think about God makes his own name holy, and I am expected to live a holy life. God brings the kingdom, and I work towards the goal of its coming. God fulfills his will, the goodness of God for all, and I discover that will, and I obey it. God gives the gift of daily bread, and I work towards that daily bread for all. He forgives as I forgive. He guides from evil. I live towards righteousness, What might the Lord be speaking to you about this morning?